The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. The dregs of October continue here in Middle Tennessee. As I cut this audio, 6.45, on a Wednesday evening, tonight I want to talk a little bit about a post I wrote a few weeks ago called Nothing Bout the Blood. And originally I was just going to write this piece and not pot it, but after the feedback received, um, I thought it'd be good to expound upon it. And so that will be the focal point of tonight's podcast. However, before I jump in, I want to share a cool little story that has nothing to do with the core, the content uh, for tonight. But I just thought, you know, every now and then it's just fun to have a little bit of story time. So I'm going to flash back to a week ago uh, when Liz and I are prepping our family of four to go to church. Uh, I haven't mentioned this. I I should mention it. Lissa and I have returned back to the gate. We felt the Lord calling us to return. Uh, We've been in sabbatical mode most this year from the moment we stepped down as youth pastors uh, last December to kind of around July, August, kind of when we started to feel like maybe maybe the Lord is, is leading us back. Anywho, long story short, the Lord calls us back. The Lord gives Lisa an assignment to serve in a code children's mentory directory role. And now we're two weeks into this new season, fresh start. If you want to learn more information about this, check out my Begin Again piece that I posted about a month ago on HisGirlFriday.com. Sorry, that was just the uh, the backdrop, the the context for this little story here. We're prepping our family, trying to get everyone into the van. Usually when uh, Liz and I are kind of going through our check down, oftentimes Liz will take Evie and load her up, um, and I'll take Caden and load him up. During this run, I remember having a lot of things in my hand, including my set of car keys, not the set of keys that Lissa was using. She'd put her keys in the ignition. My keys, we we bring along because it has our church keys on them, the keys that get us into the building, uh, certain rooms downstairs that we need to access, as also some miscellaneous, some, uh, some outdoor fence, shed keys, stuff like that. So I have the more versatile key ring. I have like 20 keys on it. Lissa's key ring is, is like three or four keys. Um, if you're going to lose a pair of keys, you're going to lose, you want to lose Lissa's. Um, I make the mistake of putting the keys on top of the car. Usually I'll do this, I'll put the keys or a beverage or Caden's shark backpack with all his cars. And I'll, you know, after I load them up, I get the contents off the top of the car and put them in either the side compartment or in the middle aisle we're in my messenger bag, and we're on our merry way. Well, this time, I forget about the keys, and it completely doesn't hit me until we pull into the church, which, mind you, is a 45-50 minute commute uh, from our home in White Bluff. Churches in Franklin, Tennessee, we're in White Bluff. 
it's a pretty lengthy drive uh, since it requires a lot of secondaries. So you could imagine that sense of, oh no, like our way of getting in, you know, we're kind of stuck unless, you know, someone else is already here. We have to call someone who lives nearby to let us in. Um, you know, and I, you know, I tell Liz, you know, it, it clicks in the car. It's like, I don't even need to go outside at this point. You know, like Liz, I left the keys on top of the car. It's the problem in the driveway. And Liz looks at me and it's like, well, Cam, they could be anywhere. They could be under the Natchez Trace Bridge off 96, uh, historic Franklin. They could be in downtown Franklin. They could be in Fairview, all these little small towns we pass um, on the journey from our home to church. And so it's like, oh, you're right. So I'm thinking like the keys are goners and we're just going to have to just get all these keys from scratch, you know, copies of Lissa's keys. Like I'm already going through the mental checklist of all the things you got to do. But, you know, I just get up and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to check the last place I remember seeing them. It never hurts to do that. If you lose something, that's just something you you got to do. And so I step out and I look on top of the car and behold, guess what's there? That's right, the car keys. They did not budge an inch the entire time we drove. And while we did not take interstates, we did get up to speeds of 55, 60 miles per hour. And if you know Middle Tennessee geography, or topography, I should say, you know that there isn't a drive you could take without going up and down a hill. It's, it's very rolly terrain. So I say that because whether or not you believe in miracles, um, you have to admit that's, you know, we, we shattered some evens right there. <laughs> uh, it was a little bit of Owen Rogers humor. Um, we defied some odds. I believe that's a minor miracle. I believe that God in his faithfulness knows no bounds. He is uh, sovereign in the big and small. Um, do I imagine him having his finger on the keys on our cars we drove? Yes, I do. Um, I do not mind risking sounding like a fool uh, when it comes to believing the truth that the Holy Spirit was a part of our journey, our ride from home to the ch uh, church. He knew what we needed uh, for the night to be a success, to, to function um, according to what was expected of us um, and, you know, helping us be faithful. Um, so it's kind of like one of those things where just you felt chills, like this was something supernatural, God's faithfulness helping our faithfulness. And these things happen all the time. We don't notice, but just to be able to capture it. And it's like, you know what, this is so obvious that God is in this. Uh, it was, it was really cool. Uh, I still like sharing the story still fresh in my mind. All right. Story time aside, we're going to jump in here. Um, let me get my papers in order. All right. Don't mind being a little bit rot here on the pod. Uh, like that authentic vibe, right? So last week, I guess two weeks ago now, I'm on a Messenger Fellowship Zoom call. I have these every few weeks or so. And um, on the line with a couple other pastors across the country, and we're discussing triune worldviews when someone brings up a very chilling question. Are we, as rising, maturing believers and leaders in the church, are we valuing the blood and living in light of that precious flow, making us white as snow? I know for me it's easy to think I am, given Christ's death 
and resurrection is the cornerstone of Christianity. I became a Christian at six years old, and when I accepted Christ in my heart, I proclaimed the truth of his death and resurrection. It's been a part of my life, really, as long as I could remember. But what if I told you, to the extent we detach God's communal nature as a foundation of love from our theological foundation, to that extent we reduce the blood as nothing more than a sacrament. Would you agree? So really, the purpose of this podcast is to address the question slash issue is the blood relevant? And I don't even like to use the word relevant because I feel like it's an abused term. The church tries to be its perception of relevant in order to attract non-believers into a believing setting. So it's almost like a, a ploy term these days. So I want to be careful when I say the word relevant. I guess I should say this is targeted to people who wonder if the blood still has meaning and purpose in the practice of Christianity today. The blood is far greater than a faith totem, far greater than a symbol of past Christianity. It's just as much a prevalent part of today's Christianity. So permit me to connect some dots after laying some groundwork in the next few minutes. Number one, to construct a worldview from the core of God's nature, we must accept the fact God is a communal of three persons in perfect love. Before there was a world, before there was a created universe, there was a trinity that was abiding in perfect relationship. And that is the first thing we have to believe before we can even talk about the blood. Before there was even sacrifice, there had to be perfect love for that perfect sacrifice to have a future, and an outlet. And before I forget, uh, some of this content is inspired from Messenger Fellowship Ordination course content. So there's a little bit of, of mix and matching, but the the blood element of this is a spinoff of that initial content. So just wanted to cite my sources there. All right, number two. From there, we can establish and grow biblical community in the same way God does his work, by multiplying what he is as a communion of love. <clears throat> and three, only then can we value the gospel and consequentially understand the destructiveness of sin. Unfortunately, as we progress in this post-millennial age, the more... I find young believers are distancing themselves from the saviorhood of Jesus. As a former youth pastor, I could attest to this. For many youth, listen, I just, and even we even talked about this recently, uh, just so many of them believe the universal lordship of Jesus having once saved, yet it was a lot harder for those same youth to accept their current need for a sovereign redeemer who continues to save. It's like they could believe the past uh, of Christianity, but not 
so much the present, or how to, to better put it, they believe in what Jesus did, but not what he currently does. Yeah, the past elements is easier to believe for whatever reason. And that was a constant theme that we ran into. Now, our culture's emphasis of reason over revelation and self-autonomy a lot sense to the trend. However, one must wonder how much a world system based on deficiency is affecting the church's thirst for relevancy. There's that word again. Take mission, for example. For most, mission is seen as a journey, an assignment, a means to an end. But when we look at the foundational points we just talked about, um, when we note the Godhead, we find mission is rather an overflow, or it's meant to be an overflow of an established nature. You see, before love could be extended, there had to be an entity with an identity, with the ability to love. Why so many feel the weight of performance? Well, it makes sense, given they're trying to abide in love, not knowing who they really are. And as such, forget the key to anything starts and ends with being loved by God. I had one of those moments today at work, believe it or not. I, you know, like I said, I've been sick. I was sick uh, last Friday, Monday, and Tuesday, and over the weekend, but I missed those three days. And so I'm coming back, and I'm feeling really disoriented. I've been really struggling with dizziness. And uh, I'm just getting back in the thing. And people, you know, when you when you miss time, like, you just kind of have to jump back into the stream, back into the current of things. Um, there's not going to be a lot of people that say, at least, you know, where I work, <laughs> i.e. the real world, you know, you'll have a few people be like, welcome back. But for the most part, people are just kind of like, they're putting things on your desk. You know, they're, you know, acting as if, you know, you hadn't missed anything when really it's like, oh, I'm getting acclimated here, kind of getting... Um, back in the swing of things, you know, there's not a whole lot of sympathy and empathy out there sometimes. And so I'm just feeling a little, I'm tempted to be annoyed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I was tempted to be frustrated. And, but I had one of those moments where it's like, I do not want to be angry. And I have every reason to, because unlike a lot of people here where I work, I know that I'm loved by God. And that should mean something. If I want to love other people like God loves me, then I need to accept my identity, and that is an overflow of an established nature, the Godhead three in one, perfect love and perfect communion. All right, so let's, let's ask ourselves this question. Are we abiding in love, or are we searching in love to find ourselves? Are we trusting God to fill our needs, or feeling our needs to trust in God? Are we forgiving having received grace, or seeking grace in order to forgive? Either way, we must remind ourselves there's no depravity God can't redeem. Abiding in who we are in Christ is the blueprint to Holy Spirit dependence. And the bedrock of truth, especially as revealed in Revelation, is cemented when we allow God to reveal himself in all circumstances. Now, there is a crisis that we have to confront, and that is the blood's depreciation amongst next-gen believers. It's important we as the body and ministerial leaders perceive the issue. It's a conflict between identity and performance. I'm sure that you could, there's a conflict between other things, but we'll start with identity and performance. For as long as Western individualism exists, and I don't see that ending anytime soon, 
so will the temptation to approach mission as drive, fellowship as metric, sin as shame, and thus the blood as obsolete. Now, those are some, you, you might think there's some radical jumps in there, and I can't deny the fact that that might be a tough sentence to swallow. So I'm going to come back on a future pod and unpack that. Um, but I just, let me just say for now, like going back to the, you know, how there's so much self-autonomy in, in the worldly preaching that goes on. There's so much emphasis on reason. That's what I'm getting at when I mean Western individualism and as long as we're around that, there's going to be the temptation, I should have said, been more clear, the temptation for the church to approach its concept, its perception of mission as that means to an end, as something that, you know, that has an agenda to it, has um, a program as a part of it. Um, fellowship, I, and I might say fellowship is metric. I know the church doesn't necessarily, it, it's not all about numbers, but I think we'd be surprised how much numbers really control our mindsets. Um, sin as shame. Uh, I I know I said I just said I was going to cover this in a future pod. Um, I I will unpack this in greater measure. I'm just trying to cover some bases here real quick. I'm not meaning that the church in America is equating sin with shame, but how we're talking about it is kind of giving people that first impression. It's not so much. Man, I can be empowered to be free from the stronghold, but it's, man, I should have gotten this a long time ago. I should know better. It's just kind of how we're presenting the sin issue and how we can get right in relationship in our walk with God. And the blood is obsolete. When you combine all those things, that's kind of, I'm trying to present a step-by-step stair ladder effect or word picture. How does the blood become obsolete is what I'm trying to get at. That's that's the deal I'm trying to get. I'm trying to imagine what it's like to be a young person thinking, like, what's the big deal about the blood? How do we get there? That said, when we remember what the scriptures say, because we cannot talk about this without referencing the word itself. When we remember we were bought with a price, it's 1 Corinthians 6.20. When we accept Christ's atonement as the security of our freedom, only then will we understand the blood's purpose in all things. For instance, the blood is central to our community. Due to the sake of time, I'm going to give these references and not... Uh, I'll, maybe I'll read some of them. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of short ones and a couple of long ones. Acts 20, 28. Take care and be on guard for yourselves and for the whole flock over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he brought or he bought with his own blood. The blood is central to reconciliation. And through the Son to reconcile all things to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That's Colossians 1.20. And um, this is all amplified, by the way. The blood is central to redemption. In him we have redemption, that is our deliverance and salvation, through his blood, which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1.7. The blood is central to cleansing. I could say pretty much read all of Hebrews, specifically 9 and 10, even more specifically, uh, chapters 9, verses 11 through 14, and 10.22. I'll actually read that. Let us approach God with a true and sincere heart, in unqualified assurance of faith, having had our hearts sprinkled clean 
from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And I'm just scratching the surface, but we get the picture, right? The blood has so much significance. My thoughts are, to minimize the blood is to minimize our freedom in Christ, as it stresses our fear of deficiency over God's sufficiency. And that comes out of 2 Corinthians 12.9, if you want to look that up. So instead of wanting to be relevant, talking to the church here, why make the good news prevalent? Let's get that difference in our minds, or let's, let's get the difference there. After all, the presence of goodwill is a testament to the good news of the gospel, the fact Jesus continues to heal the oppressed and set captives free, having reconciled us to God through, wait for it, his shed blood. How can we believe what we believe and the blood not be a part of it? It's like we like the fact that, you know, we have the salvation, the eternal security, that we have a home in heaven, but we don't like what God had to do exactly to get there. That's a catch-22. That's a paradox. Last thought, accordingly, by downplaying Christ's sacrifice, whether it's inadvertent or not, we risk performance systems bridging the gap not only between identity and sin, but also church and mission. More on this in a future post. This is part one. I'm really good at setting the table up, and i got to make sure I come back and tie the loose ends on some of this. Um, so we, we can't... And I know a lot of us, we don't try to do this, but we, we have to be faithful in our remembrance of Him. That's why I really believe that, you know, it's best that we make the blood um, ideally a daily part of our walk, but there should be at least some rhythm in which we acknowledge the blood, in which we express our gratitude. As for next time, stay tuned for a sequel post where I'll dive into more detail on how we could better educate young believers on how to live in God's present ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to read more about that. Till then, peace be the journey. That's a line from Cool Runnings, in case you didn't know. So, All right, well, I'm having some technical issues And so I'm going to need to sign off to address those. But I'll look to get this pot up on SoundCloud and iTunes the next few days. Till then, you're awesome. And like I always say, I'll catch you on the fry. Peace.